All right. Well, the little red light says we are live, so I'm taking that as a good sign, and we shall attempt to get the fourth episode of Season 9 of Mention and Dispatches underway. Returning voices tonight, our buddy Cyrano is back. Jim, how are you tonight? Doing well. Good evening. So if you're here, that means you're not streaming. We uh, we don't have a game tonight for folks to watch. By the time this gets released, whatever you're doing this week will have been well in the past. But uh, stuff coming up in like two to three weeks from when we are recording this, what's on, what's on tap for Saturday Night Fights and Wednesday Night Warfare and Thursday Night Throwdown and whatever else? Uh, the Wednesday Night Warfare is turning tomorrow. I'm excited. We're going to embarrass ourselves in front of God and everybody by trying to learn Artie Conliffe's Spearhead, his divisional World War II game. Because right. we were, So we're going to really try to confuse ourselves. This will go badly. Uh, Thursday Night Throwdown, we've got the Battle of Ketrabra for LaSalle 2. We should wrap it up. And on Saturday, we should be wrapping up our Battle of Borodino for Blueheart, which is which is as clo- one of the closest games we've ever had. Uh, both sides think that they've got it, but uh, we, we will certainly see. And then uh, we have a ton of stuff planned for once we wrap that up. But no, we've got, uh, like I say, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to tomorrow where we have a class chance in front of God and everybody to really humiliate ourselves as we don't understand a, a game. So that'll be great. So by the time people are hearing this, that humiliation will have already been committed to YouTube for your viewing enjoyment. Yes, you can you can scroll through the parts where I'm cussing at myself, flipping back and forth through the rule book going, why isn't there an index for this thing? Uh, because Artie's games, as wonderful as they are, he's an incredibly talented designer, uh, designed Shaco, designed Tactica, designed Crossfire, designed Spearhead. Um, he just, for whatever reason... He designed, well, he designed in the 90s and his look, his feel, his, the whole approach is very, very 90s with uh, some of the, what would we say, convenience formulations that, uh, (laughs) that we've become much more used to here in the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for folks that are listening to the podcast, but don't interact with a lot of the Dragoons otherwise, Jim streams games three nights a week where it's him and a bunch of dudes. I mean, it's a bunch of dudes. It's not like just randos you dial up. Like these are fellow Dragoons that are all playing games on tabletop simulator together, mostly minis games, because that way you don't have to paint all the figures, but not, you've done non minis games before and, and plenty of them. But. But these are mostly minis games that you just sort of flip on the can flip on the camera, right? The metaphorical camera, and and start streaming through your YouTube channel for folks to pop on and watch. And so if you you can watch Jim's YouTube channel, just sort of have that alert you whenever he goes live. Or our uh, our, our Discord server has a feed in there, so whenever Jim goes live on YouTube, uh, it pops an alert on there also. So you can go watch the games, uh, interact with the folks. You know that you throw something in the chat and Jim will be snarky back to you uh, on the broadcast. And so that's always a good time. Well, that's a promise. But no, the other, I I really do want to emphasize one thing and I'm actually delighted by this piece of it. I've gotten a couple of emails just in the past weeks, past two to three weeks, uh, people thanking us for teaching them how to play a game. For all the mistakes we make, we really do follow the rules and we really do try to learn them as best we can. And everybody learns games differently. I get that. I'm a person, I cannot learn a rule set by reading it. I I have to read it first, but until I sit down and play it, I will not understand it. I promise. And we've had some folks. 
<laughs> we'll we are members some, of that same congregation. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and part of that is, and I certainly won't know how to play it well until I get my face punched in. Um, and, and so just watch, you know, we've had some folks call, you know, uh, eat, uh, hit the YouTube channel or, or comment uh, offline and say, hey, I, I didn't know how to play LaSalle really, or I didn't get it until I saw this and this really helped. So that's, that's a really cool part that I'm happy to do. I think it's a, an accident, really. It's an extra. It's not what we're intending to do, but I'm glad people are having that experience. I'll tell you, when I was at Southern Front this past weekend, uh, so, so here in the RTP area, we have a pretty substantial population of minis wargamers, and, and they are actually far more well-organized than the tabletop wargamers, uh, the board wargamers. But the minis guys, uh, through the Triangle Simulation Society, they do a small convention early fall every year, probably no no more than 120, 130 people total registered for this thing, and 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 only 80 to 85 in the room at any one time. The the room won't legally hold more than that, and and it's it's all minis war games. And so you can go hit our site and see the galleries of of a bunch of the games from the day that I was there taking pictures. And I was trying to explain some of the tabletop simulator minis games that you do to these guys, and and you would have thought I was trying to explain nuclear fusion on Mars to you know. <laughs> They just, they could not grok the concept of the minis are digital and like, oh, so you're playing a computer game. Well, we're using the computer to play a board game. Like the, the tabletop is there. All of the digital things are there, but you have to pick them up and move them around as though you're sitting around a tabletop. And like, so you're playing against a computer. No, 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 no. You're playing against like five other people around the world. And, and the, you know, like the game, the, the tabletop simulator does not enforce the rules. You could pick something up and move it 17 inches when you're only allowed to go three and the game's not going to stop you like the only thing stopping you is jim saying that you moved too far <laughs> and but but it was the craziest thing trying to explain to these guys that you know you you could actually play minis games on the computer oh you mean like with cameras and stuff no no you don't need to set up a camera over a table with a bunch of stuff on. i mean you can do that but that's not what we're doing and these guys just could not grasp the idea at all it was no crazy. and it's it's it is it, i i if i had a dollar for every time somebody was actually in a game of tabletop simulator with me uh, highlighted, you know, we do have that old lasso highlight where we grab a whole unit yep. and, and, and then right clicked and expected the units to move. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they don't understand that it does. No, it's uh, it's, it's certainly, and look, 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 look. And I've said this, I said this to the guys at little wars. I'll say it now. I'm not here to replace the miniatures piece of it. I love the miniatures piece. There's guys that for whom that is the hobby. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's, I think more than anything, that's what confuses because, and, and only one time, only one time in all the years I've been doing this has someone outright said, I'm not playing miniature. I, what we do is not miniature war game. Yeah. I had a gentleman come out and say outright, well, you're not really playing miniature war games, are you? And I said, well, of course I am, you know? And, and so we got into a strange, almost feel, uh, almost philosophical discussion of what constitutes a miniature and what he wanted to argue. And I certainly understand that was, I don't engage in the full on paint research craft miniatures side of the game where I'm painting a physical crafts. I'm, I'm, you know, that's, you know what? You just said it better than I could. Well done. Um, I'm stealing that. I'll give you a dollar every time <laughs> I use it. You know, we don't do the arts and crafts and I love the arts and crafts that, that the only thing I concern about is that sounds disrespectful and it certainly isn't. Um, I don't do that side of it. And there was this one dude who would not accept it. And I think because we don't have that piece of it, they're, 
folks get a little bit confused. But uh, as you said, we've had you know several dozen people now join us, either on a regular basis or on an occasional basis, and the vast majority of them have really enjoyed themselves. Yeah, yeah. I I think if if you're using the exact same rules in Tabletop Simulator that these guys at Triangle Simulation Society are using on the table where they are, you know, you're playing Force on Force, they're playing Force on Force. You're playing Carnage and Glory, they're playing Carnage and Glory. Whatever it might be, uh, it's you know Lion Rampant. Pick one. I, I I actually don't think you've played any of those three yet, but uh, we have absolutely played Lion Rampant. Have you? Okay. Yep. Uh, we have played Ambush Alley which is the father of Force on Force. Yep, yep. I knew you'd done Ambush Alley. So in, in any event, uh, for folks that are in, interested in possibly getting some tabletop gaming where you're using the tabletop rules, but the tabletop is on your computer screen and there's a little more buttonology involved, take a gander over at Saturday Night Fights and the rest of Jim's live streams. If it looks like something you're interested in, we've got a place in the forums where you can throw your metaphorical hat in the ring and uh, and possibly join the fun some night. So yeah. Yep. Other uh, thus far silent voice here on the show tonight. Uh, Ian is back. Rocky, how you doing? Good. How's everyone tonight? Having fun? So far, not scratchy. So very good. Very good. I'll work on that. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I hope this makes editing a lot easier and that you are not broadcasting from a closet on Venus. So it was Mars. Come on. International Space Station. Well, I used Mars earlier in a different metaphor. I was trying to I, I was trying to sort of spread some planetary love around. Sounds like a uh uh, a Parliament Funkadelic album, right? Spreading the planetary love around. So tonight, so thus far, we have talked games and Sims. We have talked games that replaced others in your collection. We had just a general chat about sort of what we've been doing over the summer with some of our gaming and, and some of the things we had fun with. Tonight, we're going to take a look at some Kickstarters, crowdfunding, P500, pre-order, sort of give people your money before you get the game kind of processes. And the fact that for many publishers these days, this is an essential way that they have to do business. They have to know that they've sold a certain number of copies before they can afford to send it to the printing press, given the the size of our market and the margins on which we operate. And so one thing that I've always found fairly amusing, everybody's, man, Kickstarter is so revolutionary, this idea of pre-ordering games. And it's like, we've been doing this crap with the Wargamers since, what, 98-ish? With with the P500 and pre-order series, I think, did didn't GMT start P500 stuff 90 late 98 early 99 or so? I so, that sounds right. They certainly they you know after the great crash of the mid 90s they were one of the first so that would match. Yeah. Yeah, because you couldn't afford to just send a bunch of stuff to press and have a distributor, you know, work through a distributor to get it out to game stores because the distributors all died in the CCG crash. So you didn't have those guys. You had to go direct con- to consumers and the pre-order process was a way to do that. And the wargamers jumped on that train very early like kickstarters founders were in middle school when 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 the wargamers were on on board this train and so to that end uh, rocky do you remember the first game you pre-ordered or kickstarted or p500 or any of those things uh I, geez, I, I actually started with uh, role-playing games, some RPG yep. stuff on Kickstarter. And it wasn't, it took me a while to get over to, uh, it took me a while to get over into war games. I mean, just, there was, I think there was a resistance on my part. It's like, it was there, but I mean, you had the P500, which wasn't Kickstarter. So why do I need to go to Kickstarter when I got the P500? 
Yeah. So it, it yeah. was, it's, I eventually came over and, and, and I will sure we'll get to this tonight, how, how Kickstarter has changed and it's no longer so much an innovation system as much as it's a, just another pre-order system. Revenue um, generation tool, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're going to get there tonight, but uh, for well, a while, not there, it was just Kickstarter, but any sort of crowdfunding P500 pre order kind of thing. You remember the game what found what first for, for oh wow, I, which, I had I was early in on the P500, yeah, um. Yeah, even in the part time part of it, I was I was overseas, so I didn't have a good store. So it's like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do this stuff on on P500 and see what I can see what I can get out of it. Yeah, yeah. The the first pre order that that I got actually a friend of mine put the pre order in on my behalf. We were it was Origins of 05 when David Heath, who was then running Matrix Games, had the the print demo copy, so sort of the the proof copy coming off the press of Lock and Load Band of Heroes, and they were showing off the the demo copy, but still taking pre orders on it uh, for for pre order and P five hundred. And the guy that I split the booth with that year's Bayonet Games pre ordered um, the the copy of Band of Heroes for me as kind of a thank you for getting him involved and bringing him to Origins and everything. And and so that was. That was the first pre-order that I had was the original Matrix Games release of what was then just called Lock and Load. It's now Lock and Load Tactical Band of Heroes. That, that was the first one I had. Jim, please tell me the first pre-order you put in was not Le Grand Battles. <laughs> it was not. It uh, it was not. It was, I was thinking about this, it was a GMT game uh, because it couldn't have been a Kickstarter. Well, let's, let's start here. Care to guess? with my i i couldn't believe this you know what my first kickstarter was probably well it wasn't up front or you would never have kickstarted anything ever again would you like would you like to know that you're wrong really that was my first kickstarter oh man <laughs> january january of 2013 dude i feel so bad for you <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm looking here at my screen going, that can't be right. I was truthfully going to try to make it through the show without making a big deal out of the up. No, no, it, it is. I, I am stunned. I am stunned. I also think of how much of my life has passed in low these nine years since that fiasco. But that was that was my uh, my very first experience with the with the Kickstarter monster. And and interestingly, as I'm scrolling through it, there's only one other that has failed so far to deliver. But we're still not giving up hope that that one will, even though it is now <laughs> four years late. Yeah, only four. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, estimated delivery of uh, June 2018. It is uh, a game that I've written about, I think, twice on the Dragoons. And uh, one of them being an interview with the designer, of whom I am very, very fond. It is Ezra Sidron's general staff. Uh, yes. For for want of a better phrase, a uh, a digital Kriegspiel yeah. for the PC. And uh, Dr. Sidron is jamming away at it. He posted uh, a screenshot on the 6th of September showing us what the maps will look like. So he has absolutely not gone off to Australia with our money. He sits there. He's in, he's in Iowa yeah. uh, near the Mississippi, and he is cranking away. Isn't he um, still a professor? Uh, no, I believe he's retired. Is he retired I don't now? think okay. he still teaches. He, was a, he, may, he may still occasionally teach. He's a professor of artificial intelligence, yeah. uh, very, very well regarded in the field. Um, and he is, he is, he is 
getting ready to do this. He's he's also hoping to see it apparently make its way to Steam someday. So that would be pretty cool. Well, since, since you brought up Kickstarter in particular, I went to go look at my list of backed projects from Kickstarter. The, the oldest one I have is from 2012, and that was uh, one of the Spirit of the Century games. I think it was Evil Hat that did the Spirit of the Century series, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was. But the Race to Adventure Spirit of the Century board game, this is straight up tabletop Euro game kind of stuff, but I got it because it would be easy enough to play with Bayonet Jr. and then Bayonet as she got a little older. Uh, and, and it's one that has hit the table quite frequently for board game nights here with just sort of the casual game group or with the cousins. After that, it was Tiny Epic Kingdoms, which I had so much hope for as, as a tabletop 4X game. And unfortunately, it's like a tabletop 2.5X game. Uh, yeah. But uh, just scrolling back through my list of stuff that I've pre-ordered, aside from some things that are out, and I'm expecting them to actually come in because it's folks like Reaper Minis, right? Reaper delivers their stuff. And Gameland Games with another one of the Tiny Epic series. Everything I've got has delivered or is on track to deliver. And I've been, thus far, I've been lucky. I've not been burned by anything. I did have a creator cancel one because they, they've decided to make some changes and are hoping to relaunch it. They were having trouble getting enough English language pledges for it to be able to afford the, the localization for English. So they're going forward with the Spanish language one right now and they're hoping to circle back around and do English later. Other than that, everything I've got has delivered both the the game stuff and the non-game stuff. Um, everything's come fr- come through, which is I, I I unfortunately I think I'm rare in saying that, <laughs> uh, but but it's all come through so far. I was just curious to see, and I went back and I checked. My first GMT game was Maneuver, August of 2007, if you believe Your that. Your first P500 there? P500, yep. Yeah. Oh, that's a great game, too. Yeah. Nope. Love it a lot. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a few minutes ago. Holy cow. That's 15 years I've been on this particular iteration of the GMT wagon. So they've got, And I did also check to see what my uh, longest waiting GMT, we all know my my saga, my ranting about the uh, Commands and Colors Legrand Battles, which I ordered in June of 2019, but I'm actually surprised. I've been waiting longer for the deluxe edition of the Russia campaign, which, uh, which is their alleged f- deluxe fifth edition ordered November of 2016. So those are, so, those are, those are the ones on, from which I have to blow off a little bit of dust when I look at the orders I have outstanding with our friends at GMT. I'm sure the credit card has long since expired. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, when they try to charge that one, I wish them well. That's an excellent point. The At this point, the campaign for the Russia campaign has lost lasted longer than the Russian campaign did. Uh, also accurate. So. R- Rocky, what have you got that, that you've pre-ordered, kick-started, crowdfunded in some way that was sort of most off the beaten path from what you would normally have, have grabbed in your wargaming world? Well, one of the first, I went back and I looked, the first war game that I kick-started was actually uh, Astra's Squadron Strike Traveler. Okay. Which I thought was not going to deliver it went like over two years almost into a third year before it delivered um i actually bought the uh kickstarted the avid assistant the uh the program that helps you play that game too and i'm not a normally a apps driven uh sort of guy but that one i went ahead and i bought into it and uh you know and and that's probably the most off the wall thing i mean i've done some other kickstarters for some other non-war game stuff um neat little gadgetry and such but uh for war games 
the app and uh, yeah. wow, 2016. I was going back and looking at my first GMT order that I'm showing here, and I'm not sure if they updated it to put right everything across. I have, I show a 2015 order. I could have sworn I had something in there earlier. That's just as far back as the as the database goes. Yeah. Well, and it it could have been something that. Uh... That, that you ordered under a different email address or different username. Yeah, quite possibly. Because I know that that. But I was looking. Things. <laughs> I was looking at uh at my at, you know Jim's there talking about how long his games are. Uh, I, my oldest one is a GMT P five hundred. That the oldest one that's still outstanding is a GMT P five hundred that I ordered in October twenty nineteen. So what are you waiting on? That's uh, Brian Train's uh, China China's War. 1937 to 41, his coin uh, series yeah. game. Um, COVID really kicked everyone's butt on that. So that's one of the ones that's that sort of was a COVID baby uh, that got put off. So it's out there. It's it's working. I know Brian's working on it, and uh, we'll see when it comes out. But it has been, you know, going on three years, which is yeah. the hard part about all this. Is sometimes you order and it just does just sit there and linger, and uh, you sort of start questioning yourself what you're doing. Has uh, has it made the cut though? Uh, yes, it is. It's nearing art department readiness. Okay, so it it did at least make the cut. Not that that's yeah. a guarantee of anything, as as Jim will tell you, but it did at least make the cut. So uh, so that that's good. I mean, it's it's moving. Uh, I think you're right. I think the pandemic sort of screwed a lot of things up for people, and so there are plenty of things that are late getting to printers or late coming back from printers or or not yet off the boat or stuck on a dock somewhere. I think that's definitely something that's, that's, you know, a legit issue there. So um, the, in terms of off the wall game stuff though, you don't have anything totally off the beaten path for a game, something that you just took a flyer on for the heck of it, huh? I got like, like right now I have a a, a non war game, um, a game sitting there, some eight, it's sort of like a dominoes, um, type game i looked at it it looks neat looks fun it was a small little company it's their second game you know i went ahead and backed it what the heck matter of fact i got two copies because it looks like i can it's something i would want to maybe gift off to somebody too uh, so i mean there's some of those things in there the crazy wild ones uh, i'll i'll be perfectly honest i i try to really control my kickstarter and my p500 um i got i keep a list i got 21 games and i feel like that's almost too much yeah. Um, that I'm waiting on. I, I, I really feel when it's, when it's up at around 20, I start really questioning what am I doing? And I, I go back and I look <laughs> like, well, do I really, really want this one? Or should, should I cancel that pre-order or you know, th- that sort of thing? Um, I, I will say it's sort of uh, over the last year or so for myself, I used to be a very, very heavy uh, GMT P500, and and this last year, for some reason, I started I started looking a lot more in Compass Games and, and other uh, publishers and such. So uh, P500 is certainly a large part of my, you know, probably about a third of my my uh, my list. But it used to be almost everything P500. Now it's only down to, like I said, about a third. So seven games out of out of twenty one. Um, 
and the rest spread out a bunch, a bunch over a bunch of different publishers, which I think is the good thing too. Um, P500 is not the only way to do this. There's other other approaches, Kickstarter, GameFound, or just a classic direct P order from the company. Yep. Um, but all that comes with its own. I, I think in some ways GMT's P500 has spoiled a lot of people um, yeah, because probably. they have a system and you can look at it. They update you every month. Hey, this one's made the cut. This one's an art department. This one is, you know, prioritized. And there's goods and bads with that. Sometimes I look at that list and it's like, I, for the longest time, I had um, Panzer Expansion 1 uh, out there. And it was very expensive to buy aftermarket. They were kicked, uh, they were a P500 uh, it. And it never, it never really, it was always like at 450 or 70 it never made the cut and it was like very painful because like i want it so bad and finally somebody came through and, and paid gmt to do a reprint and so they they put it in with when they were doing the uh second like a second printing of panzer or something like that so they sort of broke their own p500 program but that was the only way i got it but that was out there forever and it was it was aggravating because i wanted it it was right there in front of you it's 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 you know is smiling at you and luring you in, but yet you can't get it because it just oh, is not making its way through the system. Jim is well acquainted with that feeling. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh yeah. I, it's, we've, we've had this conversation before and it, yeah. I won't say, I will not say that I'm off P500 because I'm not, or that I'm off pre-orders because I'm not, I'm just now deeply skeptical of them. And, and frankly, given especially, especially GMT, I am much more likely now to jump in right before it goes live so I can take advantage of the P500 discount than I am to commit my credit card to something I'm going to wait for for three years. Yeah, that's, I think that's fair. It, it's, it, that's a dysfunction. It just is. It is a dysfunction to have, you know, and I, I gave my credit card number. I offered it out there for CNC, the LeGrand Battles, and I, I know exactly when I did it because it's on the list here. And three years, really? Three years. Three years after, parenthetically, it's been over 1,000, you know, <laughs> 1,000 you know, 1, 1, pledges. So it's like, what's the what's the incentive to me? Yeah. You know, you know, it's not like I helped my game get published. I didn't. It's not like, you know, this was going to be the live or die of this, and other games have jumped up in front of it. And in fact, they keep offering more. They keep putting more out there i mean for you know for example and i this sounds like i'm being tendentious i'm trying not to be but it, it it really is i mean you've got games like 18 india okay it's an 18 double x game it's got 841 orders and it's in art and final development yeah congress of vienna art and final development 1039 well i think one of the most painful things about this is that we are on season nine of this show and we've been talking about Legrand battles pretty much the entire time yeah. And, so, you know, so something's going on there. But, you know, another one, for example, that I just made up my little list here, um, the British way counterinsurgency at counterinsurgency at the end of the British Empire. I'm in on that. OK, now it is in art and final development. Really looking forward to it. And yeah, did I jump in because these rotten beggars pushed out a Napoleonic coin game or a C, uh, sorry, not a coin game, a CDG game? I said, yeah, of course I did. Don't be ridiculous. They put out uh, Napoleon in Egypt, a two-player operational CDG of the French campaign in Egypt and Syria. You know, uh, based on current experience, I don't know if it's going to get to 500. It's only got 215 at the moment, but I was in because I think it's a part of the Napoleonic Wars that doesn't get covered adequately. So I'm there. I'm there. None day or say other. But I, I do think some other companies are managing that pipeline better. 
the one thing I'm really looking forward because I'm assuming sooner or later somebody's going to cover it is what the supply chain has done to GMT. Yeah, uh, I, I suspect it's pretty nightmarish. I have immense sympathy for that. I'm very curious to know how Gene, who's a biz, who's got much better uh, business sense than I ever shall. To uh, I, I'm curious what what he'll have to say about that. So well, I yeah, I, so Gene and Tony have been very emphatic about we do not talk about our internal business workings, right? And so they they stay out of that discussion, um, which is their right. That's their prerogative. Uh, but we've reached out to them a couple of times with, hey, would you like to comment on this? Or hey, would you like to anonymously participate in this thing with other people? And the answer is always appreciate you asking. Thank you for thinking of us. We're not talking about it. So interesting, and uh, so yeah, no, it's it's as I say, it, it, I'm turning my dollars and my attention to things that are closer to release. I I, I have more than enough games. I do not need to. Uh, what would we say? Game speculate. Yeah. So, um, so Jim, you bring up a great point there. That I mean, that and that's what I was alluding to earlier. That that Kickstarter sort of is changing how how or how people are using Kickstarter is changing. There's some game companies out there that will wait till just before they're ready to publish. And then they kickstart it. They do a quick kickstart, maybe a 15 day kickstart. And then they're turning around and delivering pretty short. I mean, one of them that I recently did um, uh, literally delivered like a month after the Kickstarter, I mean, quite literally a month after the Kickstarter closed because it was just a final order system. It's no longer that, um, hey, I got this idea. Give me some money. Give me some dinero here. Bank me so I can help finish development. No, it's, it's just, hey, we've got it. We're ready to go. We already know how much we're sort of printing or maybe they already have decided how much they're printing and now they're just trying to make sure that they sell it off um, and they kickstart it uh, through that system. I'm not sure how much I, I mean, I like the fact that I can get in on it at the last minute, but there's something about it that also just feels... I don't know, a little bit wrong. I'm, I'm just not sure about that one. It makes there's something that's a little bit uneasy about that one to me. What about you? Well, I, I mean, if if what you're telling me as a company, we've got a we've got a warehouse full of games, and we're going to give you the first crack to buy them for thirty percent less. Okay, I guess I'm okay. Um, on the other hand, if what you're, you know, what are you trying to do when when Gina said this, he told Harold Buchanan this. When Gene was interviewed by Harold and asked, what's the deal with GMT? He said, look, we almost went broke in the 90s trying to do what SPI did. What we now want to do is make sure that we've got a pool of people that are willing to pay for a game before we put it on the market, because otherwise we're afraid it it just won't work. We'll go broke. You know, And given what's happening with quality, given what's happening with printing and you know what people expect in a game... We can't do, I mean, come on, we've all bought them. We bought an SPI game that came in a manila envelope. You know, I know I have some. Oh, yeah. And we're just, we're not doing that anymore. Nobody's going to do that. So they've got costs and they're trying to say, hey, are you willing to bear them with us? What I think bothers me is that you have a couple of companies that have succeeded fairly massively. And now, though, they are, they're struggling to manage a pipeline. Yeah. And they're still coming to me and saying, well, can you give us your commitment on this give me your commitment and yeah the answer is well then uncommit okay but then why did you ask me if you're really that far away if you're three years out that that's different that 
that is different from saying, hey, we're six months out. We're getting ready to get it done. I think it's a timing issue. And maybe it's a growing pains issue. I don't know. But I'm I'm just bothered by being asked to get in on something. I get in. I'm excited. And then I sit here for three years. That's And that's not the only game to which this has happened, parenthetically. You know, so it's not just my little hobby horse that I'm riding. There are others that are in that that are in that state. And, you know, yeah, you're right. I don't. And, and yet they keep putting other games into this into this pipeline. I'm like, do you do you do you still have the bandwidth? By all accounts that I've heard, it's a fairly lean operation and good for them. Good for them. But I just I don't know. I, I just sometimes think it's a it, it, there may be a little more there than there should be. But I, and who knows? Every war game cop company is a lean operation by definition. Yes. Rocky started to steer us down the path that I was about to go next, which is we've we've talked a lot about Kickstarter stuff. We've talked a bunch about GMT stuff. We haven't really talked about some of the other companies and some of their pre-orders or crowdfunding or things that that we've gotten interested in. And, and again, not just war game companies, but but sort of game companies in in the whole. Just looking at my Kickstarters, I've only got one of those Compass uh games last minute you know the the week before we start shipping we're going to hop on kickstarter and and you know give you a pre-order through there uh, i've only got one of those and that was the uh that was third world war the the you know four volumes set there everything else that i've got from compass i've got from something other than through kickstarter a lot of those i've bought at the local game store again just showing them a little bit of love here locally the the compass is not the only folks out there that are doing pre-orders and kickstarters through you know, the, the doing pre-orders and Kickstarters and whatever else. Uh, Worthington Games obviously has put a bunch of stuff on Kickstarter over the last uh, couple of years, and, and many of them have done quite well. Uh, we've got, you know, as we are recording this, uh, Gary Ardwolf just went through the entire pre-order system for Legion War Games last night. Let me tell you, you don't think of Legion War Games necessarily as a big company. You think of them as one of those consistent mid-major sort of war game publishers. Man, they've got a lot of stuff on pre-order that if those things started to actually come through a little quicker, their their inventory, not not their physical inventory, but their, their catalog depth would go way up in a hurry i don't think people realize just how how deep the pre-order gets for legion war games lock and load has has shifted off of kickstarter and over to game found but has put several things up through game found so outside of kickstarter stuff or gmt stuff jim have have you dropped some some stuff on the roulette wheel there for for I, I'm, I'm being metaphorical but have hmm. you pre-ordered stuff through other folks directly or yeah or, yeah or, i mean and I, I i i'm a little i remember the first time i saw it i looked at compass games their pay now pay later system yes and i found it really really confusing i i mean there, the, it, it. I assume it just means: Are you willing to throw us a little money in advance? Yeah. No, it's actually two systems. Okay, please explain. There's, it, it, so I got caught in it. There's two systems there. You can pre-order and pay now, get it later. And I made the mistake of doing that on one game, and and they, uh, they you know, they grabbed my money. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. This thing's not even out yet. But then they have another, um, you know, was it? Pledge now, pay later, which is the one that's very much like a GMT P500 system. The confusing part for me, I, I, I totally agree it's confusing because you got to make sure you click the right button on their website and you select the right program. If you want to give them money now and... You know, then you can do that. They 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 take it. But then there's the other system, which is more of the hey, now you're pledging for it. Um, we we we're gonna we're gonna 
take your credit card just to keep it on file, but it won't get charged until basically the same time that the Kickstarter uh, gets charged. I went through that too. It's like, hey, I have this on pre-order. I'm seeing it here on Kickstarter. Do I need to redo my pre-order? It's like, no, 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 no. And the same day that the Kickstarter collected was the same day that they charged my card uh, for my my previous pledge. So but my question, totally so my, agreement. My, it's it's confusing. My question is, why would I pay now? Exactly. Yeah, I, and that's and, that's the thing I was gonna say is that I would see it if like pay now saves you thirty percent, pay later saves you twenty percent. I could see if there was a fiscal advantage to someone throwing the money at you now but everything i've seen is they're the same price if i miss something that's the way i'm I'm, I'm double checking and the answer is no okay another company that does a little bit differently is uh vuca vuca simulations yep i I pre-ordered or pledged for uh, pre-ordered um red was it red storm Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and what they, or Red Strike, sorry, Red Strike. I was about to say Red Strike sounded right, but. Yeah, Red, Red Strike. The way, the way they did it is they took like a 10% deposit. Okay. And, and, the, and so the 10% deposit is locking in your, the, the pre, the, the low price. So it's not, I mean, they, they admit the shipping will probably change, but your, your price is supposed to be locking it in, but they took a small, you know, a small chunk of money as a deposit, uh, as part of your pledge. So that, that's a yet another approach. You pay it all up front, you pledge and pay it later, or Hey, you can do a deposit. Um, and, and, pledge it that way. Yeah. I was going to say that sounds very much like a deposit sort of system, put a deposit down to hold your seat. Correct. You don't pay it off till you get there. So again, you know, lots of different methods here. And, and, you know, the cool thing about the marketplace is all of them are viable. Pick and choose which one makes sense for you. So yeah, but I still don't have a good answer for why I'm going to pay now. Oh, there is no good answer. The good answer is you're not, if, if you, the good answer is you, you shouldn't. That's, that's the answer. Now there's some, some game companies out there. I really want you to, but as the consumer, my money, no, I'm hanging on to that until it's closer. I, I, I mean, I'm looking at one game, for example, Alexandrus and Spartacus, right? It's the con- it's, uh, it's, it's Mike Markowitz's game. Uh, what were they were actually in Command Magazine? I think were they both in there? Because I think I've got Spartacus somewhere. I don't know if it was Mark. If it was Markowitz, odds are fifty fifty. The original one was on a cuneiform tablet. <laughs> it was ninety two. So so I'm close. <laughs> yeah yeah. It's but in, in any event, they're putting this out, and the expected release date is twenty twenty three. And I'm not giving you my money till twenty twenty three. But lest anybody think that I'm just picking on Markowitz, he's a friend of mine. I like the guy. He makes frequent jokes about how old he is, and and I'll make comments about you know where were you when something something on social media, and Mike will inevitably chime in. You know, my my first social security card was a cuneiform tablet, right? He he regularly pokes fun at himself for these things. So yeah, so I I don't know, you know, I've got to answer your question. Yes, I. You know, I, I, can't I wonder if not. some folks just don't if they're if they're committing the money so that they know it's done and I don't have to come back around and think about it again later. Like it's paid for. It's I don't have to manage a credit card. I don't have to update my file. I don't have to. Oh crap! Wait, is that posting? Do I have enough space on the card? Like it's it's paid because I got the money now and it's done and I don't have to think about it again. Game's going to show up when it gets here. 
I wonder if for some people that peace of mind isn't a little more convenient and, and they've just got a little bit of throwaway money to work with for that. And they're a little more cavalier about it than any of the three of us are. Isn't that what GMT does though, ultimately with a P500? Sorry, well, but GMT doesn't charge your card until the game starts shipping. Right. Whereas uh-huh. the pay now thing is sort of, here's my money, send me the game when it's done. All right. Yeah. Okay. I, again, I'm I'm just trying to find an explanation as to why. Because I mean, other than ever do you know other other than with my cohort here was uh, suggesting is that they would like me to. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure they would like me to. But but let's. I, I'd like to make this more positive. I. It just this baffles me. But I move on. Um, from Compass, Napoleon's Eagle Two, the Hundred Days. Pay later. You're darn right. I'm paying later. This is yep. the second half of their card game of the Napoleonic Wars. Um, there, I I was so pleased with them, and I, I really want to stress this. I was so happy with what they did with the first Napoleon's Eagles because it was not what everybody you know what what everybody expects. You know, it, it was a, no. Well, it, yeah. It's, it, we must have just talked about this. The uh, it wasn't Waterloo, which everybody figures. They went out to the east. They went to Central Europe, and they talked about those battles, and it was awesome. And now, what do they do with their second one? Well, of course, they do Waterloo. Um, you know, because they know Waterloo's going to sell. Yeah, no, no, it's it's you're you're playing to your market. You're you know playing to the punters in the seats. I absolutely respect that. But um, nonetheless, nonetheless, they are. They're coming out. I mean, you know, it, in fact, it was called, it was called Storm in the East. And the fact that it's on sale makes me a little sad because I would have hoped it was doing better. But speaking of what we're doing this weekend, it features Borodino. It features Leipzig. How cool is that? I don't see that very much. And uh, it's a fun game. Yeah, we saw three and a half months of Leipzig. We've seen <laughs> We've seen all the Leipzig we ever need to see. No, I uh, I got that one. Um, so yeah, it was it's 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 a fun game. I'm looking forward to to checking it out and seeing if they update any of the rules and other stuff like stuff like that. I was happy to put it on a on a pay later from Compass Games Napoleon's Eagles, the second volume. I also did because I I think it's just a really fun system. Uh, pre-order Brief Border Wars 2. Yep. Um, yes, I think yes, that, yes. I think that is a fascinating, 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 fascinating um, series. It, it covers stuff nobody else does. I mean, if well, I... Well, By definition, it's going to cover stuff nobody else does. Yes. I, I'm... I won't say that um, that this is the only game on the... Uh, the only operational game on the Nomohan incident otherwise known as the Battle of Kalkin Gaul. In fact, there's a Memoir 44 Overlord scenario for it, but I'm going to guess it's the only operational game. So I'm excited to have that one from Compass. Pay later. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) You know, that's it. And I am tempted. I have not yet pulled the trigger on 1812 war on the great lakes frontier um i think it's it's a a subject near and dear to my heart living as i do on the great lakes uh having studied a little bit of that stuff over the years and it it looks interesting i do like car driven games Uh, i think it it has some prospect i but i haven't gotten there yet so that's those are the ones I'd be looking at from Compass Games. It seems as though when Gary was going through the Legion War Games queue, yeah, there it is. I just pulled it up. A glorious chance. The yes. naval struggle for Lake Ontario during the War of eighteen twelve. I, I saw I saw him take that up on his 
on his uh, stream. And I thought, oh my God, suddenly the world has room for two? Wonderful. Well, I think there's, somebody else had one also. And I want to, for some reason, Worthington stuck in my head, but I, I don't ever remember Worthington doing like a naval focused game. Certainly there's some scenarios for that kind of crap in Wooden Ships and Iron Men, but there was somebody else that had a, a, a War of 1812 Great Lakes game. And it's totally escaping me who it was. Uh, I, I I knew Legion did only from watching Gary's show the other night because I don't normally dig through things that are already on pre-order because when I'm pulling together Tuesday Newsday, I'm looking for new pre-orders. Those are the things that I want to announce is, hey, here's a new something to do. Not, hey, this thing's three years old. You should go pledge it. Um, ah. I, I, it's it's not like I'm doing those, but I, it, it seems to me there was somebody else that had a, a Great Lakes War of 1812 game, and I'm just totally spacing on who it was. I, and like I said, Worthington's what jumped into my head, but I'm I'm 99 sure that's wrong, just because that I, I don't ever recall Worthington doing like a naval only thing like so. Mm. Uh, but but it did it did stick out. You mentioned Brian Train's Brief Border Wars 2. Uh, obviously, Brian, great friend of the Dragoons, uh, has, has been a podcast guest off and on here and there, uh, but certainly somebody that's been involved with some of the things we've done for Connections Online and some of the other professional-focused events over the years. With with that in mind, as as Brian is kind of a... a friend that that you would like to support through some pre-order stuff never mind he makes great games it's also sort of helping a friend out there have you ever thrown a couple of bucks at a pre-order campaign or crowdfunding thing not necessarily because you were after the game but just you were trying to support a friend who was pushing something over the line rocky have you have you just sort of helped out a buddy somewhere trying to get him get get a game published for for something you might not have otherwise been terribly interested in uh I think, no, uh, no, no, I think, uh, more recently, um, it started off sort of as just, uh, uh, the, um, when, uh, um, oh, what do you call it? Dan Bucks, um, No Motherland Without, uh, yep. fa- you know, was, was canceled on Kickstarter. Compass, uh, uh, pushed it out. Then he did a second game through Dietz Foundation, uh, 1979, uh, the Iran. Yep. Uh, I went ahead and backed that just because just from the power of his previous game. Um, okay. but Dietz Foundation was a small little company. I didn't know anything about him, but uh, Jim Dietz is actually a really great, great guy. Yeah. Um, if he's Better not already origins. in front of the Dragoons, he should be. Um, so, so I have done it occasionally, but I'll, I'll be perfectly honest here and say I, I try to avoid that because I. Yeah, I, I love I love my war games, but I gotta love the war game to order it, and and that yeah. that that sort of makes it hard. Some of these P five hundred and these these pre orders that are years and years and years. I mean, I I go back I go back and I keep looking at my list. I keep going back to the ones that are the earliest on the list, and and many times more often than not, I'm sitting there looking. I order like right now. I got from uh, September twenty twenty. I ordered Carrier Battle Philippine Sea. From Compass, okay, because I'm all about Navy stuff, yeah, and no I love the Battle of Philippine Sea and stuff. But you know, I'm sitting here looking at this, going like, you know, a couple of years ago, I really, really loved that, and maybe that was what I was thinking about. But I just keep coming back and looking at it, going like, man, what am I doing? Do I really need this? And you know, it's already been two years. It's not supposed to be. It was supposed to be mid 2022. Well, that ain't happening. So you know, where when is that going to ever show up? Do I just cut, you know, cut bait and? And, and move on and many times I end up doing that yeah and, uh, and then I don't come back to it because it's just it's it's not in the moment and then and so much of buying games you really 
should be in the moment or not should be but it, 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 for me it is in the moment and uh and and the moments after three years are hard to find <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is that is definitely a fair statement there. So I, I'll tell you, I was I was looking through my list, just the Kickstarters, not so much any kind of P five hundred stuff. I, it, it's weird because looking at my list of stuff that I've that I've gotten over time, uh, it, it's a little odd because. <sighs> A lot of the war game stuff that I get, I get as a function of being with the Dragoons, where either I'm getting a review copy for somebody, or it's it's you know a publisher sent us something, or in some cases we're we're trying to support some of the smaller publishers, so we're using a little bit of the Dragoons funds to help get something from a publisher to give to somebody for a review of something somewhere. So more of my pre-order pledge kind of stuff is is more non-war game stuff. And so, for example, Bruce Heard, the longtime line editor for the Mastara game world back at the original TSR has his new world of Kaladar that he's built out and developed over the years. I'm not big on the world of Kaladar. It's it's perfectly cool stuff. If you like Bruce's stuff, if you liked a lot of the original high fantasy Mastara stuff, you will certainly love Kaladar stuff. But I've got all the old Mastara stuff and I'm perfectly happy living in that world. But, but I threw a couple of bucks to support one of Bruce's Kickstarters just to help make sure it got funded and that everybody else was going to be able to get their Kaladar our stuff and help Bruce out there a little bit. Uh, I pledged $1 to one of the Harn projects. They got me a couple of the PDFs that, uh, as, as a part of backing it for a buck, but I, I backed it for a dollar just to kind of help push it along getting getting done. The one more recently that I actually spent a little money on is I'm not generally a big fan of, of Age of Gunpowder kind of stuff. Jim will tell you, like, you know, Napoleonic stuff, American Civil War stuff, not my thing. I would rather do something else. But I backed Bill Molyneux's Battle of Brandywine Tabletop and Pocket Edition uh, just to help Bill get, get this thing published. It was a you know, as, as far as I know, it was his first time through Kickstarter and crowdfunding kind of stuff. And Bill didn't, Bill didn't launch and run the campaign. He's got a publisher backing it, but this was Bill's first foray as a game design through that. And so I threw my 20 bucks at it to, to get that on, on the budget level production. But I, I, I wasn't buying just the PDFs. I wanted an actual copy of the game, but I got the low end copy of the game. Again, just trying to help somebody out, get something, you know, get the thing published there. Um, there's, you know, a, a couple of those like that. I went ahead and bought into Stonewall Uprising. I think it's a, a cool concept, a cool game. Probably got some some really interesting arguments to be made in that game as to, to sort of what's going on and how those relationships are deployed and managed and manipulated through the game engine. Uh, but I also like Tim, and Tim runs a cool company with Catastrophe, and I wanted to back Catastrophe and help those guys out. I already had Zermot, but I was buying Zermot anyway. I, I got Stonewall Uprising as much to help the company out as it was because I wanted a copy of that game specifically. So there's been a couple of those that I've thrown some money at as much for who it's helping as what it's providing me. There's not a ton of those, right? I'm in for... God, trying to go back and look 20 odd projects 30 projects total on kickstarter going back to 2012 and you know four of those are ones where i was just you know in at a low end just to try and support somebody getting getting stuff done only one of those four was was a you know a, a higher dollar full pledge kind of thing so Jim, anything you've just sort of, hey, that person's a cool person and it's not necessarily my game, but I want to help that person get stuff done. A hundred percent. I've got a friend, Craig Campbell, I've known him for 30 years. He is Nerd Burger Games. Check out <laughs> nerdburgergames.com. Um, 
He is a designer of indie RPGs. I think he is on the. I think he's now the chair of the diversity panel over at um, over for the indie RPG community. So he's organizationally involved in them too, and he's actually had some wonderfully successful um, RPGs put out there through Kickstarter. Uh, I believe every one of his games is funded. Um, everyone has been delivered on time or early, but when you're operating in the RPG space, you're a shoestring every time. Yep. Um, full disclosure, my wife does his videos, you know, so I, I guess I have a little connection to him, but uh, I, I would say I knew him before I met my wife even. Um, and also full disclosure, I have written fiction for one of his RPGs, the very first one, in fact, um, about, <laughs> A uh, an alternative universe in which office politics become violent and involve magic, which is <laughs> which is a lot of fun. He, uh, I have backed, I think, every one of his Kickstarters that I can think of. I may have missed one or two along the way, but he is about to take uh, his latest one live, and I will be backing it. I I've actually been in a, a fun, friendly back and forth with him about it uh, because I'm very curious about it. It's a topic I like a great deal, actually. And it's the idea that a computer system crashes or it's about to crash. And the player characters are programs within that within that computer. And what are they going to do as the crash is imminent? Think Tron, basically. I, I was about to say, this is this is sounding very Tron, which I just actually rewatched the other night it, it it kind of is um but there he he opens up a number of questions like do the you know do the do the programs know there is a bigger world you know do they care yeah. you know things like that um it's in just you know to pitch it it's called code warriors code warriors it will be in kickstarter i will be backing it my wife is doing the video for it so you know go check it out but no i to answer your question um, that's probably the one I've thrown the most at just because frankly, uh, you know, and, and most of the time it wasn't so much that he wasn't going to get it funded because he's had great success along those lines with about seven or eight games. I think it's more that he wanted to bump up the quality, maybe make it a hardback or get a fancier hardback or God forbid. Yeah. This, this, this freaking Kickstarter. And I've told him I'm annoyed by him. Uh, it's going to come with special dice. Um, they're eight-siders, but they got special icons on them representing the more digital look that he's looking for. So he's always been trying to improve the quality of the thing. Um, so it's uh, it, it's neat. So yeah, Nerdburger Games, always been happy to uh, to endorse it. That's cool. As the Armchair Dragoons march into the ninth season of their podcast, Mentioned in Dispatches, we need to make time to thank our Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Patrick Garrity, Mike Quigley, Joseph Knoll, Hethwell Wargames, Robert, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell, Treb Curry, Staggerwing, and Patrick Mullen for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragoons. One of the things that we've tried to do over the years with Tuesday Newsday is not just talk about the bigger P500s and pre-orders and the obvious stuff that that folks are already looking for as a part of, uh, you know, when when GMT releases their monthly update, which praise be for the last two months has not been within hours of Tuesday Newsday going live. They've they've been giving us about a half a week head start before they they make our entire Tuesday Newsday irrelevant with 
you know, dropping an update by Tuesday night. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do is let's talk about some of those under the radar pre-orders and pledges and Kickstarters and P500s and whatever. And so just going back over the last couple of weeks with some of those pre-orders that we've had, uh, that, that we've brought up, brought attention to, um, the, th- this week they were all kind of ones that folks generally knew about, except for Myth Wars. There's this new one out there on Kickstarter. It's called Myth Wars, the Battle for Media. And and honestly, I'm not sure they're going to make their funding. They're a little far behind for how much they've got yet to go. I hope they do. It's a neat looking game. It looks very much like one of those classic mid-aughts fantasy flight productions with a with a very high toy factor and a lot of moving parts on the tabletop. No idea how the game plays. I'm just going based on what it looks like and, you know, sort of the Kickstarter descriptions. Uh, but, you know, somebody's got a dream and they're trying to follow it. And that's that's not something that a lot of folks would have found if they're just sticking to sort of the Compass GMT kind of pre-order series there that folks are spitting out or the, the pre-orders you get from somebody like Warlord Games. Uh, going back... Uh, another couple of weeks, the same week that Compass Games launched World War II Commander and Schnellboat, or World War II Commander Market Garden and Schnellboats and Worthington put Archie's War out there. Uh, th- there's another company out there that they came up with Booze Quest, right? They're trying to cross a drinking game with an RPG. Unfortunately, they're like the second mover in this space because the Heroes of Barcadia has been out for a couple of years. But but Booze Quest looks kind of fun, you know, sort of the, the RPG drinking game that that adults can sit around and play why not try and push you know push some attention their way and and let's see if people are interested in that uh mini meeple melee for your battles on the go these things all fit in basically altoids tins so you can have some some little skirmish battles using some meeples that all fit in 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 uh in in little mint trays and and that was the same week over on game found we also found watch hockey get drunk uh, if ever there was a game with some truth in advertising right there uh, that that's the one for you. And then going back about a month from, from where we're recording this, the same week that the Adult Red Horizon 41 expansion went on to pre-order was also the same week that Free League dropped uh, the reprint of Dragonbane, which was the first big production Swedish RPG, which folks kind of knew about there. But that was also the week that we found War World X, uh, which is a card game on Kickstarter that, quite frankly, I, I'm not sure is going to make funding. And I'm not 100% convinced that appealing to the war gamers with card play that looks like it's a cross between Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic the Gathering is necessarily the way to go, maybe. Sure. But, but, you know, look, God bless them. They, they've got something that they've worked on. They've got their little baby and they're they're wanting to try and see if there's a market for it. And they're going to push it out there. So, you know, good luck to them. Even if it's not something I'm interested in, somebody else might be. And maybe somebody looks at that and go, oh, hey, you know, my kid's big into Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And maybe this is a way I can start transitioning that kid over into some wargaming. Cool. Check this thing out. Maybe it scratches your itch. Maybe it doesn't. But those under-the-radar little guys kind of stuff... I, I see no reason we can't help promote that a little bit and say, hey, here's something off the wall, off the beaten path. Check this out. See what you think. Maybe this is your this is your jam. Maybe it's not. Uh, but, you know, it, it doesn't really cost us a ton of effort to help push those out for people to take a look. For sure. So, so we, we, we try here and there just to, to see if we can help them out. 
And who knows, maybe someday somebody's going to find something and go, oh my God, that was awesome. Had no idea that was out there. Um, there's a co-op game about defending the Ukraine out there. It's UA Bravery Time. I said the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. There's no the in front of it. Uh, UA Bravery Time was one that we stumbled across one time. There's, there was one group that was doing some minis that they're halfling snipers, <laughs> which they, they, they sort of look like uh, kind of steampunk American Civil War inspired, but they're all carrying a laser sniper rifles. Uh, but they look really damn cool. They really do look good. I got one for you. Yeah, lay John it on. John Compton. John Compton over at Canvas yep. Sample Publishing. John's a for good an dude. old grognard like me, the extra large counters with the extra large fonts that I can see. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and they make it. It's part of their. It's part of their advertising. For uh, for John knows his audience. All thumbs, all thumbs with uh, you know with wearing the uh, you know goggles. Um, Yeah, the war gamers for the grognards. You know, he's got a few titles out there, uh, but yeah, gotta love it. That's the sort of thing that you know he found his piece. Let's uh, let's help him out. Yeah, John John's good people too. He's uh, he can be a bit of a crank sometimes, but but he's he's good people, and you will never walk away from a conversation with john compton thinking man i got dumber uh no john elevates the intellectual level of every conversation he is in he's a great dude to, to just have a general purpose chat with um there's actually jim we name checked you in one of our our uh tuesday newsday pre-order uh headings there was somebody that was doing the medieval margin marginerie instead of just a menagerie it was the marginerie zine and basically it was they went through a whole bunch of old illuminated medieval manuscripts and pulled out the weird marginalia illustrations from all of these old medieval manuscripts and they built an rpg around them huh and we we're like this is the most ozarski kickstarter we have ever seen yeah yeah no actually and the ozarski there would probably be my wife michelle because she's the she is an immense fan when we were in Paris and in London, but mostly in Paris, we spent a lot of time in the company of medieval manuscripts. So the idea that those, those, cause those creatures, yeah. If you ever have a chance, there's a wonderful Twitter feed that does nothing but share crazy medieval marginalia, glossa, things like that. Um, it just, that was a, those folks, the idea that the middle ages were not colorful or uh, scatological yeah. <laughs> or, you know, lighthearted. It just, that will not bear scrutiny, at least not in the margins of manuscripts. I'll tell you that for a fact. There was somebody out there that for a while, I don't remember if it was on Facebook or Twitter, but had a feed where it was sort of a medieval snail a day. Sure. Where he'd gone through all the old medieval manuscripts and found Ill snail illustrations in all of them. And it was a medieval snail a day that, that this thing ran for several years which I thought was awesome. Uh, absolutely silly, but I thought was awesome. So I, as, as we're starting to wind up this episode a little bit here in terms of uh, some of the pre-orders and, and other things that you may have ordered in the past, Jim, what is the most grotesquely bloated or overblown or outright silly in terms of scope and scale Kickstarter or pre-order or crowdfunded thing that you ever back? Did you ever buy into one of the Reapers mini campaigns or one? No, of the no, I, I never Dwarven did. Forge. No, I would. I, those, those, as you've correctly observed, were classic cases of people suddenly going, "Wow, my God, people want us to keep. They're, they're throwing money at us. Let's add more. Come on, let's do more." And 
well, what does this mini have to do with it? I don't know, but we have a lot of them. Throw it in there. Um, I would say the one more that I, I will give it two. I will give it two, both of which I'm very pleased with. I want to be clear. Uh, number one was the fantasy trip. Okay. Yep. Steve Jackson games. Um, I think particularly because if you played the fantasy trip as I did in high school, which would have been 1983, 84, it came in one of those little Steve Jackson game snap boxes. Yep. It was melee wizard advanced melee advanced wizard the fantasy trip and then one of the books it easily easily fit in a shoebox yeah with plenty of room for dice pencils minis anything else you want to do this thing doesn't fit in a calax shelf yeah <laughs> the box itself and it is packed i it is it uh it is as i've said on this very podcast before if you want to watch how to do a kickstarter watch how they handled the fantasy trip. Steve Jackson sent a freaking guy to China to take pictures of his stuff at the, they did not send things back and forth. They did not proof things via teleconference or email or anything. They sent somebody there to look at it yep. and to yep. say, yep, that's great. And along the way, he took pictures and he said, this is me with the box. This is me with the thing. You know, it was perfect. It was yeah. Perfect. And then when it came over here, it was gigantic and wonderful. Um, Uva sent people to China in the past for Academy games as well. There And it, it pays, yeah. you know, you know, the guy gets guy or gal gets a trip out of the deal, but you get quality control and you get great customer relations. Cause we were over here, not worried about the delay. There was a slight one, but it wasn't big, but more importantly, we we're like, Oh, look at the cool thing we're going to get. How cool is that thing? You know, we were yeah. we were far more interested in the quality of the thing that we were going to receive. Uh, the other one is uh, more recent, and it is Blood on the Clock Tower. Okay. Um, Blood on the Clock Tower was quite well, late. Hey, Jim, hang on. Before you get too far down the line on that one, I do want to say Steve Jackson did much the same thing with Ogre, not just Fantasy Trip. He did a lot of the same thing. Yep. I, I'm, I don't remember which one came first, but he, he essentially Ogre. used the same template for both. Yeah, uh, Ogre I, was, I, think yeah he, I, I think he sent folks, you know, to China more frequently for the fantasy trip than he did for Ogre, but it was essentially the same template he used for the both of them. Yeah, so, and it oh, was... Blood on the Clock Tower, sorry. You know, Blood on the Clock Tower... We all know this game, Werewolf, right? You know, it's it's a simple game, plays in 10 minutes, you know, get a bunch of people together and do social deduction and guessing and keep it moving. And it's a fun party game. To me, it's to me, it's really the only true parlor game is Werewolf for one of its derivations. Everything else is some sort of board game because you need pieces. You don't with Werewolf, really. Um, they, for whatever reason, have continued to evolve the form until you now are with this thing, Blood in the Clock Tower, which is just another social deduction game about surviving some sort of demonic threat. But, oh, my God, did this thing come with pieces. <laughs> it comes with a giant book that the storyteller is supposed to carry and use to track roles. It's got 50 different roles. It's got six different scenarios. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I don't even know if I'm ever going to get it to the table. But, oh, my gosh, did the money go, you know, and everything is top quality yeah. top quality now i want to say if i were to say what the greatest kickstarter I've, kickstarter i've ever received is it would probably be pax pamir 2 okay which is a fabulous production oh my gosh but it's it's understated the yeah. the kickstarters for both the fantasy trip and blood on the clock tower are absurd and they're good. They're really good. They're wonderful. Uh, they're absurd. They're the opposite of of understated, huh? Yes. So, R Rocky, what's the 
What's the craziest, most extravagant, over-the-top, crowd-funded anything you ended up with? Uh, I have to say I've uh, I've always bought into Roots, okay. um, which I'm not disappointed with at all. Uh, yeah, expansion after expansion, terrain packs, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. Always love that. Um, Australia from uh, Shmuel uh, Games. Uh, that's the middle name, right? With the Z. Yep, Oz Australia. The uh, the railroad farming war game. Um, <laughs> I, I I love it. I mean, I love it. You you start off playing a Euro and then you turn into a war game. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, I, it's just it's it's a little guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, I, I have to have all the expansions for that, the big box and things like that. And then um, Academy Games, um, what is it? Mayhem. The, one? the uh, Agents of Mayhem? Agents of Mayhem, yes. Agents yeah. of Mayhem. Uh, that, that That's the closest thing to like a miniatures, um, you know, big buy that I bought into. You know, so I got that I got that big box that you have to have, you know, several pages of directions just to repack it the right way so yeah. that everything is back in the box uh you have to what's you have insane to is it. you need those instructions even with as ginormous as the box is you still have to pack it a special way to get it you know like some of those old big fantasy flight boxes like the original tide of iron box or the original long descent box like they were big enough you just toss everything in there and it's going to fit exactly. like agents of medium is that size and you can't just toss it in there <laughs> no no you have to pack it a certain way or else it will not close yeah uh, so that that those are my three sort of like guilty pleasures I, I will say if you've ever seen agents of mayhem not not you rocky obviously you have but but for other folks agents of mayhem when it's out and fully assembled and on the table man it kills god it's gorgeous it really is a cool looking game once you put it all together yeah, the 3d skirmish game yeah superhero yeah. skirmish yeah it, it really is a, a neat looking game so i I will tell you that the craziest big one that I've I've gone for is I actually bought into the last Reaper Minis one. I, I bought into Reaper Bones 6. When those things first started coming out about five, six years ago, and, and Reaper was kind of like, oh, crap, this is successful. What else we got in the warehouse for like the first two that sort of ran off and, and sort of became these, these cyclones of crowdfunding? Uh, Reaper's gotten a lot smarter about it. First of all, uh, the funding on this closed back in the spring sometime. The estimated delivery isn't until April of 2024. It's an entire year and change because of the number of minis that they have to make for this thing. Um, but I, I went. I had said one of these days I will have the the spare cash from from my current employment, and there will be a live Reaper minis campaign at the same time. And when those two things converge, I am jumping on. And I did. And so uh, the the Reaper minis bone six, I added it all up. I think I'm going to end up with somewhere around the neighborhood of 145 or so minis. Uh, I will never, ever need to buy more fantasy minis ever again. That won't stop me from doing it, but I certainly wouldn't need to. And... And, you know, once those get here, I'm going to have a lot to work with. And, and you know, it, it was one of those things that you kind of did it because you felt like you needed to do it once in your life. And that that was my once in my life that I've, that I've done. Uh, there's some perfectly cool looking stuff in there. There's a couple of throw-ins. You kind of shrug, you know, like, you know, I wouldn't have bought those, but I'm not going to tell them not to send them to me. So, sure. so I, I, I'm totally on board with one of those Reapers minis. When I, I will also say that the uh, Storming the Gap, when, when David Heath was, oh, crap, I need more stretch goals. Let's add another reference card. <laughs> that by the time Storming the Gap had all of the reference cards made, they basically had kind of a second rule book just all on loose leaf cardstock because there were so many reference cards that they had added as stretch goals for that thing. It was crazy.
As we start to wind up some of the discussion here of crowdfunding and Kickstartering and, and P500ing, uh, Jim, if you were to sort of project what the next five-ish years of crowdfunding is going to look like. And, you know, looking back, it, 10 years ago, it was a bit of a Wild West on Kickstarter. Like the Wargamers got fairly organized with their P500 stuff because they had a 20-year head start. But but the Kickstarter world has gone from, as, as Rocky mentioned, has gone from this kind of Wild West of, hey, I got a great idea, help me get it out the door, to a very stratified, very professionalized, very process-driven Kickstarter campaign. Like, there are companies even hiring, we need a, you know, crowdfunding campaign specialist for our company who's got a track record of delivering successful crowdfunding campaigns. Like this is, this has become a profession at this point, knowing that that's what's happened over the last 10 years. What do you see over the next five? Anything really that the, the trends that you see or, or changes that you see what what's coming, what's not. Oh, I mean, it, here's the thing. It, it talking again about nerd burger. And my friend Craig, he put out his last Kickstarter mm-hmm. on the exact same day as Hasbro released its Hero Quest Kickstarter. Yeah. So and and that was I blasted them for it on his podcast. I said, "This is absurd. You have a billion dollar company sitting in you know going into the Kickstarter space." Yeah. Because corporate corporations looked around and realized, wait a minute, these people are willing to give us a commitment to buy this game even before we've made it. Yeah. How sweet is that? And you take that realization on the part of the consumers and combine it with the supply chain nightmare because we're not out of that yet. We are right now deep in the throes of companies, not in necessarily the war game space, but in the hobby board gaming space, having to go back to their backers and go, I know we charged you X, but if you want the game, you're going to have to give us twice that. Otherwise, you're just going to lose your money because we won't be able to, we'll go broke and you won't be able to deliver the game because our shipping is so expensive, because our parts are so expensive, because the supply chain is so broken. You combine that reticence with that reality. And to me, I think what you're going to see is those that have succeeded will continue to succeed. You know, GMT is operating on such a, a, a lean model. It's pretty much weatherproof, I think. But your bigger Kickstarters are going to become like tentpole movie franchises. You're going to have your Star Warses. You're going to have your MCUs. You're going to have your Jaws. But a lot of the middlers are going to get squeezed out. Uh, they won't get the attention. They if they you know if you can't afford the big art, if you can't afford a million minis, if you can't afford an IP, if you can't afford. Uh, a name designer, you know, those folks in the hobby space are going to suffer contraction. We here in the wargaming space, we don't cost that much to begin with. Yeah, we're kind of contracted already. Yeah, we are what we are. I mean, and so we are not going to be as affected. Now, will we be? Of course, of course, it'll it'll touch us all. Um, Probably the biggest question we have to answer, how are we getting our things to England or how are we getting English things to here? How are we getting things from the continent to here and us to the continent? That has become so expensive that it, you know, we always used to tease Vance about how much it costs to get things shipped up to Canada. Well, that's become- Why you go home with a trunk load of games every year for more. Right, sure. (laughs) Smuggling them across the border. (laughs) Why wouldn't he? But, 
you know, now, now we're confronting that much more broadly. So well, I, I, I think, I think that's the biggest shift. They'll be interesting to see how that market shapes up. I, I will say this, that when, when folks are talking about the supply chain challenges that we still have out there, the, the supply chain disruptions coming out of the pandemic are still very real. And we're still playing catch up for a lot of these things. Part of the, the, the issue with this is not just all of the, the pandemic protocols that were put in place, the backlog that they caused isn't necessarily one that can be solved just by throwing more money at the problem. Because at a certain point, there's only so many boats that can only move so fast in and out of so many docks in the ports. And and even when the ports are running at 90% capacity, which is essentially full, the the it would take a miracle of scheduling to get above 90% capacity in, in how efficient these ports run. Even if they run at 90% capacity, there's still a five-year backlog of crap just waiting to get shipped. Just that that has built up over the past two and a half years where production didn't slow down quick enough for everything to be able to get off the docks in the limited pandemic travel state that we had. That it doesn't matter how much money you throw at the problem. There's no way to make boats travel faster. There's no way to have them shove more cargo on board. And there's no way to make the ports move any more efficiently. We're going to be stuck with these slowdowns for five years, even if the dollar figures don't change or go down, which they're unlikely to do, but it, it won't matter. It won't matter. There's just such a backlog of stuff sitting in warehouses waiting to move, which is crazy. Yes. So Rocky, what do you, what are you seeing over the next five ish years of, of the crowdfunding world? I think um, we're going to see, I, I, I'm not sure if I totally agree with Jim that we're going to just get these tent pole pieces out there. I think those are at risk because when somebody's ordering that giant box of minis and the shipping costs just to get it, you know, you know, the forklift to bring it to your house is becoming so expensive. I think we're going to actually see a, a shift away from some of that and back to smaller, leaner, meaner, uh, maybe even, you know, there, there seems to be this whole move to plastic and miniatures. We're probably going to see that back away because the cost is getting to the point where it can't be afforded. Now, sure, they get a lot of backers, but then the problem is the supply chain, the people getting upset about it, and then getting it shipped. The ship, you can't underestimate or overstate just the impact of the shipping costs on, on everything. And I think that's going to be the big change is people are going to say, I'm not buying a box with a thousand pieces of plastic in it. I'll, I'll take a, a set of you know, wooden cubes or even, oh my gosh, I'll go back to cardboard counters. Oh yeah. my! Oh, I, I, I that you're in the war game space. Absolutely, in the hobby board game space, there'll there will be. I, I, I would wager good money that there's no going back there. That that plastic minis and that is here to stay. That's what's going to drive out because these people are part horse. Watch the shows, you know. Watch the shows. Watch these. They they dismiss out of hand things that lack the sexy. Um, they're not they're not good enough. They just aren't. Uh, will there be euros? Of course, of course, the, those will those will be in a small space. Those will be the things that are living out there in the shadows. But in terms of your big games, the the games that are going to succeed and get the coverage and get the attention, no, they just got to figure out. They're going to figure out how to do it. And what they're going to discover is they can't afford to do three at a time. No, they, they you won't get just just go to the major websites and listen to the major podcasts that they are shocking, shocking component horrors to the point that whether it be not just minis but art, but you know, all the pieces, components, the idea that they're going to go back to counters. No, absolutely not. We're here. We're good. We, we never left. 
right? We like them. We like them nice. But but the 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 hobby market, the market that so many are chasing, well, shoot, look what some of the the look what Uve is trying to do. You know, Solaris game. Yes. Yeah. You know, he's in our space. He's our guy. He's our. He's like he's the outworks of our little fort. <laughs> he's trading with the enemy. Yeah. I, I'll tell you that something that you know that I, I guess part of the question there is Jim when you're talking about these big tentpole games, are you talking? About, I, obviously, these are likely to be well established franchises that come with a built-in fan base like star wars kind of thing but beyond that sort of are are you looking at a particular dollar figure when you talk about a big tentpole thing are you talking about kind of media exposure are you talking about number of backers where is it you're sort of going for these things and well there's a particular reason i'm asking so i'm sort of curious what it is you're thinking here well, I think right right now, first of all, the, they have to sort out the pipeline. You know, they have, and I'm not saying solve it because I agree with you. They have to say, here's what we have now, and here's what it has to look like. Take just example of the game that buzzed across my feed just this morning, The King of Monster Island, the latest thing from Richard Garfield. Yep. Look at the production values on this thing. It's, you know, tell me what war game company can create that. There isn't one. Maybe Uwe. He might have those connections. But but who else? Seriously. Yeah, yeah. And so whether it's minis or whether it's art or, you know, whether it's the size of the bloody thing, you know, there's, there's, so what's our price point? I, I think, you know, we've long passed the $100 price point. I think we were shocked by that, but it, it happened. Um, I'm just looking this sucker up. I don't think this went to Kickstarter, no. Uh, but I'm just, you know, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the King of Monster Island. And like I say, I don't think it's got minis, but the freaking thing has what seems to be, it probably does have a game part. It's got a vol- a plastic volcano in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, which is you a know? little nutty. Yeah, people people want that. They want, they've, it's got different dice. It's got little standees. It's got multicolored dice, just like King of Tokyo, which is very modest, but it's got lovely game board art. And it's got all the tchotchkes, little plastic parts that you put out on the board and all the little cardboard standees and then a plastic volcano for the middle of it. You know, this is, and this is, I would argue a pretty modest game yeah. by, by some standards. Um, yeah. You know, then, then you take a look at something like, uh, you know, and, and that isn't to say, and this is, this is interesting. And I guess I have to be a little careful on this, but um, think about something, you know, the Roland rights, they've done these things, but, I'm looking at the uh, the board game for for Kingdom Come Deliverance. Look at this thing. Yeah. Look at this freaking thing. I, it, you know, just just take this thing out and look at the parts and look at what they're talking about. Look at all the freaking cards, all the freaking minis, all this other stuff. Well, There's Seventh th- Continent was a little nutty. Oh uh, yeah, but that but that that's basically just cards. Oh, it's a crap ton of them though. Well, yeah, and <laughs> look, look, you know, look at Elric, Rise of the Young Kingdoms. Everybody wants to hit the next Gloomhaven. Everybody wants that million dollar Kickstarter. They're all trying to get there. So no, I I think they're going to definitely continue to do this. I think they're going to keep fighting for this and, whether you know the the idea that we're going to see some moderation in the hobby space, I, I don't think so. I don't. So the reason I was I was asking sort where you defined that that line, the war gamers I don't think are ever going to get anywhere close to touching a one million dollar Kickstarter campaign. But taking a look, so twenty twenty one 
The, the article I was looking for is not one that I can easily find, but I found something very similar. The, the article I was looking for, I could have sworn was from Polygon, but I couldn't remember for sure. And it was basically, hey, here are 10 games that were crowdfunded within the last 18 months. And, and how many of them do you actually remember or know anything about? And they, they were all names that kind of sounded vaguely familiar. And again, they're not in our space. So they're not necessarily ones I would expect us to know. But I'm betting if you go down to your local Eurogame club somewhere, if we went over to Cabs in Columbus and said, hey, tell me which of these games you recognize, you know, could even tell me anything about it's maybe half the list at most. They all raised over a million dollars on Kickstarter. In 2021, games, the, the Witcher game, the Monster Hunter game, the Stellaris game, like those are all, they, they've got baked in audiences because they're media franchises. But for tabletop role-playing games, the fact that the One Ring raised a million bucks on Kickstarter, like nobody's going to bat an eye at that. Obviously that one's going to. Coyote and Crow, Twisted Taverns, Grim Hollow, uh, Orborus, all raised over a million dollars on Kickstarter in 2021. There were five tabletop RPGs in 2021 alone that raised over a million dollars. The total from Kickstarter founding up until that point was four, right? And there were five in the next year alone. And and it's not like Coyote and Crow came with a built-in audience or anything. They had a really good idea, played up that angle, that sort of unique angle that they had, and, and folks responded. Now, part of it is... A lot of folks were stuck at home in 2021 with nothing better to do than surf Kickstarter. So that's probably where some of that came from. But then sequels, expansions, and reprints. Everdell, Zombicide, Mythic Battles, Root, Castles of Mad King, Ludwig, and Isle of the Cats all cleared a million dollar funding in Kickstarter, right? Who the hell is playing Isle of the Cats that much that it's going to make a million bucks on a Kickstarter? It had a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, we had- I get it for Root and Everdell. Those make sense. No, but Isle of the Cats was a rank gimmick as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And, and I've only played it once. I played it. I have played Isle of the Cats. Okay. Um, yeah. It's not a great game, but it's got a great gimmick. And who am I to knock a gimmick? It's got freaking cute little kitty cat tokens. Yeah. Every and and I'm sure that they spent a mint. And but again, look at this game. Look at uh, you know you almost have made my point. Look at Isle of the Cats and tell me what war game is going to get close to this. Yeah. Well, and and, and then and- ask yourself the question. Okay, you funded this game. How are you getting it to your backers? That has not been solved. Yeah. Well, part of what you're, part of the case you're making though is uh, unintentionally, that's not something that's going to appeal to the war gamers necessarily. And this is where the toy factor becomes an issue for our core audience kind of those hardcore war game types, the toy factor starts to become too much of a minis war game in that you still need the stat cards on the side. The hex encounter component of things or area encounter, right? Map encounter, if you will. The counters allow for the visual presentation of multifaceted data in a way that minis do not, right? Minis can... Con- perhaps convey some armament, can give you a facing, but all of the key stats for the minis have to be held off the map. Otherwise, you're back to the, the WizKids clicky base model. Nah, not, well, not necessarily, because they can just represent a one. That unit is one. Yeah. You know, that, that well, is a guy. Or that's an orc. He represents one strength. I, I get your point, but I mean, to me... <laughs> Again, it, it depends what space you're talking about. You said what again, going back to your question, what do I see happening this year? I th- I think an into the future. I think there's going to be more and more of sorting out that has to happen. And when it's done, I think this is going to be so expensive that companies are going to have to pick their battles and they're going to have like the dice game you mentioned. Yeah, that costs nothing, right? 
it gets over a million bucks and it costs nothing to produce. I admit I'd never heard of it, but when you look at it, it's a dice game. Great. Yep. You know, sure. I can throw it at, what is it? The, uh, night, night, Nasi, a, uh, a coyote and crow dice game. Great. And it makes a hojillion dollars and I give them all the credit in the world. And I don't knock people making money. But when you look at something like Isle of Cats, that's going to require a significant investment and was released, remember, in 2019, pre-pandemic, um, you know, now you're going to have to make some real decisions. Now you're going to have to decide, can I put out this lovely, it is lovely, polyomino, cute little mini, all this other stuff, Can I and all the playboards and all the playtesting and all the stuff, can I afford to put that out given the supply chain what it is? That's where the choices will be. Yeah. And, and, and also... How much am I going to have to charge people for this fool thing? <laughs> and, you know, how much and, am I going to have to charge them to get it back? Yeah, and again, you know, the the thing that we talked about last summer when we were dealing with the the initial wave of pandemic supply chain slowdowns, you still have to go overseas to get things manufactured. The capability of manufacturing those things does not exist here in the U.S. So that's that's not something that you've got the opportunity to even consider doing. Uh, so whether you want to or not, you're still stuck going overseas, and at that point, you're just <laughs> sort of mitigating customer expectations as much as anything else because you, you still got to do the work over there so that's that that's always going to be an issue mm-hmm. you know i i still think you're going to have the niche space in which the the small indie hey i've got a great idea guy can operate because those guys in addition to the smaller margins and quite frankly in some cases they're going to lose money just not knowing what it is they're they're getting themselves into they're only trying to raise 1500 bucks they're going to yeah, raise the but 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 who cares family they're going to raise I mean, 1500 who, but 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 who cares that's 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 lurking in the bazaar outside the mall yes yeah and if that's what you're talking about oh i'll stipulate i Still, you know, but I, I don't think you, you can't come. I mean, Kingdom Death Monster, which is pure minis porn. Yeah, 1.5. This is one the 1.5 version has already grossed 12.4 million dollars. Frosthaven, 13 million. Yeah, but Frosthaven also had a built in. Yeah, but that, what I'm saying is right. Those are your tent poles. Yeah, yeah. Your, 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 your stuff in the bazaar outside. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I'll make your point. I'll agree with you. Tell me which of these things you haven't heard of. Frosthaven, Kingdom Death Monster, Avatar, Marvel, Exploding Kittens, boy, The Witcher, <laughs> Seventh Continent, The Binding of Isaac. There's your top 10 so far this year. None of them my minor independent outliers. This is who's yeah. making the money. These are your tent poles. Everybody else goes for scraps. Well, and and that's where I don't think those guys are going to th- those guys aren't going away. We know that. I think the 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 Compass Games and Worthington Games using Kickstarter as a pre-order tool isn't going to go away. That gives Compass Games an opportunity to to gin up some last minute pre-orders but to also get games that are essentially ready to go in front of a wider audience through Kickstarter that are just sort of searching around for something that looks kind of cool. And it may show up in the recommendations for, hey, if you like this, you should check out these things. And if Compass Games picks up an extra 10 orders off of the recommendation engine built into Kickstarter, good for them. Like that's that's a perfectly good way to build your audience. You know, we're right. The the smaller dudes are still going to be in there and, and still going to be able to make, make enough money. Um, be able to to you know get where they're going with those things. I'm wondering the mid tier guys that are not necessarily established production. Somebody that's that's 
in there trying to compete with a Compass Games product or a Steve Jackson Games product, but with a new company. If those guys never would have been able to do that before Kickstarter, had this brief 10-year span of time where they were able to do it thanks to Kickstarter and are now going to get crowded out as you were saying, Jim, from a space that they never were in in the first place except for that brief 10-year window. And yeah, we've kind of lost something in those guys getting crowded out, but how much have we really lost? You know, we're we're sort of back to where we were 20 years ago with those guys still having to start smaller and build better that gives them the chance to build their audience. when, when, When we talked some number of years ago about game ripoffs, right? The the three of us were on the podcast when we were talking about Insurgent Catan. And the idea that the game industry was, was growing up and maturing and going from this cool little hobby that a bunch of hobbyists sort of made things for each other to a legit professionalized full-on trade. And and it was very reminiscent of where the music business was for a long time. And, and the music business eventually grew up. You've still got the very low-end indie dudes. You've still got the very high-end tentpole guys. It used to be that to get from point A to point B, you had to you had to pay your dues out on the road. Like you were living in a van, opening for somebody on a club tour. Second album starts to do a little better. Third album starts to do a little better. As you start to hit the same towns over and over, you you start to build a recurring audience that your first album sells 10,000 copies. Your next album sells 50. Your next album clears six figures. By the fifth album is when you're actually talking gold records. And it took time to build things. Well, it, it you know, along comes American Idol and suddenly everybody thinks you get to be a rock star by winning a game show instead of paying your dues and building your way up and learning the trade as you go through that that kind of apprenticeship on the road. You used to have to do that with a game company, right? If we think about some of the game companies that we all know and love, they started small. WizKids started small. Catalyst Games started small. Watsy started small. Uh, the, these guys slowly built their way up from there. Hell, Whirly Gig, Cole Whirly started out designing and small stuff and and have built their way up and and did Kickstarter become the game equivalent of American Idol that allowed people to to jump the queue and sort of short circuit that paying your dues process because there was an easier path that now isn't going to exist anymore and is that necessarily a bad thing for the industry I don't know um, I I may have just completely killed that entire metaphor too by accident so sorry no, I, I no i i this is way way further than we want to go but I'll, I'll give my simple answer to that comment which is i think we've now entered the age of the designer I, I i think we have because of the cost at the high end at the high end the day of the auteur is over um we will now we have it's a specialized process now the the designer the developer the publisher are different disciplines it's too big a business yeah and yeah. and you're gonna see a lot of these designers for hire uh your cole whirlies you're all the all these guys they're gonna drift around from project to project from person to person you know jeff engelstein all the guys that are great at it and they'll go from one place to another and let people who have the talent of development of publishing of art direction they'll let those people handle it. And so, yeah. no, the the back of the van days, will it happen? Of course it will. But 
I, I think that in the at the higher level, at the hobby level, at the Gen Con level these days, that's over. I really yeah. do. Rocky, we've been babbling for a second here. What what what's your reaction to any or all of that? Well, I think Jim makes some want to go grab a beer. <laughs> I think I think Jim makes some great points. I, I I guess I hope he's wrong. Um, because if there's only those big tent poles out there, you know, I guess uh, well, fine. The big tent poles are out there. I just won't be part of the big tent. Uh, the circus will go on without me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna seek out the smaller uh more affordable uh maybe not as snazzy um uh pieces of it and, and I'll, I'll survive and i'll be happy um i hope i hope he's wrong because i don't want to i don't want to have that the hobby get divided out like that i mean we all should be able to enjoy it. but i suspect that yeah the supply chain the component hoards out there yeah it's uh the the trajectory is not great yeah On that cheerful thought, <laughs> cheerful. I uh, I think we've hit an endpoint here. Uh, just sort of, kind of, kind of the natural conclusion of where we are. And so, the last time I asked folks for uh, what are your parting thoughts, we added another thirty minutes to the podcast. So I'm going to skip that and simply get to the good nights and say thank you to the audience and thank you to both Jim and Rocky for being able to jump in, or especially Jim since we had to dial you in at the last minute when uh, when we lost another guest here. Uh, what I will say is there's still a lot of great unsung gems available out there in the crowdfunding space, and you should absolutely find them and hug them and love them and share them with your fellow war gamers, whether they are true war games or if you're more of a gaming omnivore, just found something really cool that you want to share with folks, do it. Hell yeah, absolutely do it. There's cool stuff out there and we shouldn't stop talking about it. Uh, just be aware that this has become yet another place where the game world seems to be professionalizing. Um, good, bad, or otherwise. That seems to be what's happening to us everywhere. And, uh, you know, are, are we losing something in the process? Maybe. Maybe we're all just a little too nostalgic and overly romantic to it. So uh, on that note, uh, again, audience, we want to hear what you want us to cover on some of this podcast season. So whether you drop something in the notes down below or in our forums or talk back to us on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Board Game Geek, we've got a thread for mentioning the dispatches on Consim World. Come find us. Come talk to us. Let us know what you would like us to talk about and what you think we should be covering. And, and we're happy to see if we can fit it into the schedule. Uh, Otherwise, Rocky's going to be back at some point later this season to talk accessories because we definitely said we were going to do that. Jim will be back as he is every fall to talk about the Compass catalog once it shows up because because uh, at this point we can't help ourselves, right? I mean, we need content and they, they conveniently provide us an entire episode's worth um, and, and then end up yelling at us about it afterwards, which is yes. fine. You know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, and then at some point, we all need to get our blood pressure up over the Charlies. So whenever that happens, we can uh, we can all go yell at the Charlies as well. Well, we can't uh, yell about Origins anymore because war games aren't there. Um, okay, sure. I mean, we're still going to be there playing war games. We just well, but, but they won't be giving any Origins awards to historical games or war games. Yeah, well, once they brought back the historical game category and then still didn't give it to war games, eh, screw them. Uh, maybe that's what we end up doing with our awards if we can ever get them off the ground. Is that ours become the war game awards that we give away at Origins, and we'll just hold our own banquet in the upstairs room at Max and Irma's across the street and call it good enough. <laughs> but. Uh, we're still going to be at Origins and still playing War Games next year, and we hope that that you guys will come join us, even if we have to occasionally loudly and rudely remind Origins uh, of the origins of their hobby. So, uh, audience, thanks much, and we'll call this a night, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Mentioning Dispatches. <laughs>